Welcome to Tech Live. Stephanie Christopher here, CEO of the Executive Connection. We connect leaders with a trusted network of people who help them succeed. And it feels like a great time, actually, to have our wonderful guest in the studio today, Krista Leonard. Krista is a partner at Kingston Reed, which is Australia's largest national specialist employment law firm. Krista has over 15 years' experience working with clients across a broad range of industries, with a strong and much-valued government practice at the Commonwealth and state level, where she is the trusted advisor on many complex employment matters, and while we're here thinking about small and mid-sized businesses, what a complex suite of employment matters they have to deal with anyway. Krista Leonard, welcome to Tech Live. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. Thank you for joining us. So what else is of interest that you think could well be on the minds of CEOs and business owners in that <laughs> small mid-sphere? Well, as an employment lawyer, my eyes lighten up at that question <laughs> so much. Right. <laughs> uh, we live in a very um, exciting time and I think one that um, there's always issues at the forefront, whether or not it's dealing with the changes around sexual harassment um, and, and the legislative changes that have come through in the Fair Work Act and certainly following Kate Jenkins' report, mm-hmm. uh, respected work report, that's something that obviously sits there and the obligation has always been on employers to um, you know, create and, and ensure a safe workplace. So whilst it's very much the same old, it's it's really a, a time, you know, age old issue that needs to be again dealt with proactively. And so that's on the mind of employers and making sure that staff feel safe speaking up um, if mm. they do have concerns and that they're dealt with, you know, confidentially and properly. The other big thing I think at the moment is, and this follows um, two decisions of the High Court handed down last week, and that's the question of uh, engaging workers either as an independent contractor or employee. Uh, and that question um, has been very topical, um, and we've seen a raft of decisions over the years in the Federal Court of Australia where I, I guess it, the, the decisions have yielded different results depending on which judge hears the matter, which factors are taken into account as to whether or not someone legitimately is a contractor and therefore um, has the, the, the rights and obligations as a contractor or whether they later seek to try and say they're an employee mm. and a court assesses them as such. And the two decisions that um, the High Court heard recently um, both dealt with that issue uh, and both had a, a fairly finite and, and very um, interesting result as a result of, of those cases. And those cases really dealt with, um, or the High Court said in those cases, that um, where a business enters into a written agreement and that full agreement sits there in writing and it's clear on the face of that agreement that the person being engaged is a contractor mm-hmm. and where there's no other argument about whether or not or claim as to whether or not they're a sham contractor, um, the sham contracting provisions have been enlivened, then the parties are entitled to rely on that written contract as being it. That's the arrangement. And so what that's done is essentially it's shifted the focus from what traditionally has been an emphasis on what the courts have called a multifactorial test mm. where they've looked at a range of factors and assessed the relationship over the span or the lifestyle uh, the, the lifespan of that relationship and have come up with uh, a finding that they're an employee um, as a result of those factors 
that's what's happened in the past. Yes. And so to put that into context, if I talk about one of the decisions, it might help um, extrapolate out that. One of the decisions is a decision of ZG Operations, PTY Limited and Jamsec. Now, Jamsec, Mr Jamsec and Mr Whitby were truck drivers who back in 1986 entered into an employment relationship with uh, their employer and after about five years, the company came to them and said, look, we can't afford to keep you on as employees, but you've got the option of contracting with us. Yep. And so Mr Jamsek and Mr Whitby ended up forming a partnership with their respective wives. They then entered into a contract for service as as contractors. And for the next 20 odd years, they proceeded to provide um, delivery services exclusively for mm-hmm. this company. And over the years, there was evidence led in the, the federal court below that they'd had, you know, the benefit of obviously operating as partnerships. So they had were able to divide, um, you know, into their, their tax finances, and, tax and mm-hmm. trusts and the, and the like. But at the same time, they also at times wore uniforms, uh, at times had the company's logo on their truck that they worked exclusively, as I said, for this company uh, and pretty, you know, set hours of the day. And so in 2017 when their contract, uh, Mr Zamsek's contract was uh, ended, he brought a claim along with Mr Whitby to say that they were actually employees. And and made redundant. yeah, Yeah, and should have been entitled to their annual leave. Wow. superannuation uh, and, and all of the entitlements that employees have. And at first instance in the federal court, the single um, judge of the federal court held that they were indeed contractors. And in doing that, he applied this multifactorial test and went through and essentially mm-hmm. ticked the box of, you know, does that look more like a contractor, more like an employer arrangement? Formed a view that they were pretty um, equal, yeah. but that these gentlemen were actually running their business and yes. therefore that swayed it to being yes. a contractor. The full court of the Federal Court of Australia disagreed and they applied applied the same test and looked at the relationship over that 30 years and formed a view that at the end of the day they were in fact employees. Mm. And so uh, the, the company's G operations appealed to the High Court and what the court High Court had to look at and what they were asked to look at really was how can you have a dichotomy of saying, well, yes, we accept that you run your own business but you're also an employee mm. and and that was the tension and they were um, the, the, the High Court then said, well, actually you don't need in this case to apply this multifactorial test and looked at how the w- relationship ebbed and flowed over that 30 years that was too onerous, it was not necessary in circumstances where in this case their contracts that they entered into, and there was a number of them over the years, clearly identified them as contractors. Mm. And the court said that is sufficient, that is enough for us to be satisfied that you're a contractor. So it's really simplified in some senses, mm. the test that em- that, that uh, employers... It's away that multifactorial and that judgment. It, it mm. has, it mm. has. Now that's not to say, and this is where, you know, there's always shades um, in the law, if there's a claim of sham contracting, as I said earlier, that will trigger a, a slightly, you know, different test and there may well be an examination of the relationship over the course of, mm. of the arrangement. But in this case, it, it certainly wasn't pled as a, um, you know, a sham contracting arrangement. And what what does that mean, actually? So a sham sham contracting is a concept that is um, given force through the Fair Work Act as uh, a penalty provision that uh, says that you can't knowingly enter into a contract for services knowing that the 
person you're entering into that contract with is actually an employee. Mm. So it's designed to um, stop uh, erroneous situations where you're forcing somebody that really is an employee Mm. into a contracting arrangement. And typically we've seen over the years the sham contracting cases have been um, in in lower paid or less skilled Mm. industries uh, where, for instance, there's cases where there's been um, cleaners working in in a hotel. They were employed one day as an employee and the next day they became contractors, forced to sign an agreement and essentially nothing changed in the arrangement. Yeah. And so obviously those provisions exist to protect workers who are, should essentially be employees. And indeed, you know, when entering into a contract, you need to be doing it for the right purposes and not for a nefarious purpose of avoiding the, the Fair Work Act obligations that, that you'd have as an employee. Okay, that's interesting. What are the implications of these two decisions you're talking about for the gig economy? Oh, look, I think um, it's going to be really interesting. The Fair Work Commission is is just now sitting on a decision um, for Deliveroo uh, and they uh, said they wouldn't actually make the decision until the outcome of the, the, of the High Court decisions. I think what we're going to find is that there is now the precedent is uh, where these contractors, these um, delivery riders have a contract uh, that specifies and stipulates wholly in writing the nature of the arrangement to be as such, then they may well be found to be contractors, contractors. and not employees. Mm. Now, I think in this case, and the, the second case in the High Court was a, a case called this from the uh, CFMMEU and mm. personnel contracting. And in that case, the situation was reversed in the sense that and this deals with an odd co-arrangement where you've got a labour hire entity mm-hmm. engaging an individual to go and work in another business. Yep. Um, and in this case, the labour hire entity had engaged uh, a labourer who uh, was uh, from overseas and he had a visa. He rocked in and he had bought um, some um, steel cap boots and a high-vis vest. Uh, and uh, he walked into personal contracting and said, I can do labouring if you want to place me somewhere. So they placed him with Hanson uh, company, uh, concrete company, and he proceeded to do work. Now, he was engaged by personnel as a contractor and went to work with Hanson. Ultimately, he claimed he was, in fact, an employee, and the High Court agreed, um, notwithstanding the federal court below, had found him to be a contractor. Yep. Confused? Yes. <laughs> um, now, in that case, again, taking contract is king, um, the High Court looked at the contract that this Odco mm. arrangement uh, existed and said, well, the, the, the contract between the worker and personnel, the, the labour hire company, whilst it said he was a contractor, when you looked at the terms in mm. that agreement, it was clear that he had no control. Um, the company would pay him despite, you know, ha- um, for, for his work with the um, with the, Hansen. Hansen. And he uh, was under the control essentially um, of Hansen, not of the company when he walked on, the labour hire company when he walked on site. But ultimately that arrangement, they said, was actually one of employee, not contractor. Um, and so in that case... What it did was it gives rise to, and it, it wasn't certainly a sham, it wasn't argued on the, the basis mm. of being a sham contract, but it gave rise to really looking at the assessment of how you engage workers. Mm. And I think going back to your question on the gig economy, if um, the gig economy companies can demonstrate that the, the people that they engage 
run their own businesses, mm. and many of them do. Many of them work on various apps at the same time. Mm. Um, it doesn't matter if they're um, carrying a delivery box on mm. their bike um, or um, only work exclusively for one company. Mm. Um, they may well still be found to be contractors um, by virtue of you know the written agreement uh, and them carrying on a business. So the implications for an employer across a range of industries – when you say contract is king, what would be the main watchouts? So you've got to have a razor-sharp view of your contracts and make yeah. sure that if you've got independent contracting agreements that you look at them, that you have them reviewed yes, uh, and that they're properly drafted and wholly mm. drafted so that the arrangement is reduced to writing and clearly sets out the, the, the arrangement as it exists. Um, that's the first thing. I think the second is mm. being alive to the fact that whilst contract is king, if there's a sham contracting arrangement, then how the relationship plays out in this multifactorial test may come in into play. And so it is important that you don't just create a contract or agreement for the sake of it when that person should be an employee. An employee. Mm. Um, that's really important as well. So there's intent and set up and then the contract. And it's Interesting because sometimes, uh, you know, a contractor agreement can be can look quite complex. And if you've done it properly, it can be four or five pages and there's a whole lot of legalese in there and people say, oh, can't we just have, you know, just a handshake or just a mm. one-pager? It's more important than ever to have these things right, isn't it? It is, and that's exactly what the High Court said. Uh, if you don't have a properly drafted contract, then you will be assessed on the whole of the relationship using mm. that ma- multifactorial test. So it just makes it easier, I think, uh, and that's always key. I mean, any of your employment relationships or contracting relationships should be reduced to writing mm. uh, so that you're clear that there's um, you know, no uncertainty as to the arrangement and that's going to protect you later on from these types of claims but also um, throughout the relationship. So there's three things we've talked about today. Back to COVID. Won't it be great when we have you in here and say, remember that? Uh, Back to COVID, keep an eye on changes to legislation. So what I heard in COVID, what I've heard in when you were talking about sexual harassment, the importance of just being aware of of that and and changes to any workplace and health, uh, health and safety legislation. And then when you've talked about this contracting, it's just... There's nothing new here as a business owner, is there? There's nothing that you have to suddenly start doing something you've never done before. That's right. Uh, And I think that um, certainly the High Court in those contractor cases have just reiterated that. Mm. that We're we're heading back to where we, you know, the the basics. Mm. Um, And that's, I think, you know, makes for good business practice, Mm. good corporate governance, uh, is really have the fundamentals and the basics set up right in the first place and that's going to save... Um, hopefully a lot of time and energy later on. So having the basics right, consulting with your team at every opportunity and also um, having your head above your business and knowing what's going on in the world around you and the implications that could have for you as a CEO or business owner. Certainly. Very important. I can. I love your eyes being alive and so interested in all of this but it was it was very helpful very practical as always krista leonard thank you very much for joining us it's a pleasure thank you Stephanie. discover more about tech at tech.com.au